Hey, what's up? I'm Andreas Exertis. And I'm Brittany Secretarian from Recent Tartarians. On TartaryNova.com, and you're watching Baked in Awake. Awake. Hope you guys enjoy this one. It's going to be pretty much one of the coolest episodes. We're right now in New York City. We thought we'd do a little introduction for him. Uh, I think that's pretty much all friend. he really needed. Yeah, Steven's doing a pretty cool show right now. The next, I don't want to give you any spoilers except for the ending. Yeah, it's right after these messages. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks for watching Baking Awake. And make sure you check out Tartary Nova and Exertus channel too. You know. I love you guys. Hello there. Welcome back to the 89th episode of the Baked and Awake podcast. Thank you so much to my friends Andreas and Brittany from the Tartary Zertus Discord community, where we talk all things mud flood, Tartaria, and the esoteric in general all the time. Uh, it's an amazing community that's provided me tons of companionship, incredible amounts of discoveries of things to research and talk about here on the podcast, um, and just food for thought in general for all my explorations around topics baked and awake. Uh, it's a super inclusive and wonderful, supportive, diverse community that welcomes all voices to the chat. Um, I'm including a link to the Tartary Zertus Discord community here in the show notes for you folks today. Uh, it is the last Thursday of November, and therefore Thanksgiving Day at the time of this recording, or Takesgiving, as some folks know it these days. Personally, I'm always extremely conflicted on this holiday. Of course I was raised up with it. Now I have a young family of my own. And, I mean, who doesn't want to spend a day celebrating with those we love, the people we're grateful for in our hearts. How do we do that in 2019 when we know we're living here in North America, in the United States of America, living with the legacy of marginalization, exploitation, and genocide, frankly, of First Nations peoples all across North America? I'm afraid I don't have a clear answer for any of us, other than to say, myself included, we can all do more to truly support indigenous Americans' rights and to include them in society, raise up truthful remembrances of their cultures, traditions, support in every way legislation and direct action that helps to dismantle the systems in place that to this day exploit and harm them. Yes, I'm thinking about water protectors. Yes, I'm thinking about people close to the border of the United States, the southern border. So, we can all do more, and we should all do more. And we will try here at home, in my family, to remember Native Americans today much more than the pilgrims, the colonizers, as they say, us. That said, we will still be celebrating together as a family and enjoying a wonderful meal together today, and, and we'll enjoy it in a nuanced and complex way. Andreas and Brittany sort of teased a uh, subject that we'll be covering in our next full-length episode. I want to put everyone's minds at ease right now at the top of the show. We're not going to be talking about the Third Reich. We're not going to be talking about the Fourth Reich or anything of that sort. Not today, not on the next episode. What we will be doing next episode is talking about one Dr. Wilhelm Reich psychologist, an author, first assistant to Dr. Sigmund Freud in the early part of his career. Reich was also a contemporary and pen pal to none other than Albert Einstein. And Reich may have discovered 
an incredible, heretofore unacknowledged force of the universe that he dubbed Orgone. It's a portmanteau of orgasm and organic, loosely translating to sexual life force, which science has done nothing but discredit and suppress ever since he began his work. Reich is an individual whose entire professional life was surrounded by controversy, not only because of the subject matter of his work, but even some very serious allegations against him personally in his life in the way of, and please be aware, trigger warning, there were rumors of domestic abuse and possibly molestation of his own daughter. Yes. Yuck. These were allegations. These charges he vehemently denied. He was never actually charged. Charges is too strong a word, and he certainly was never convicted of anything untoward with his family. But those rumors followed him for the rest of his life after they were raised. Dr. Reich was imprisoned on completely separate charges and died in a U.S. federal prison just a couple of weeks before he would have been set free from having served his sentence of like two years in full at the fairly young age of, I want to say, like 62. And I'll check that for us before our next episode. We'll get it really pinned down. Some of Reich's supporters even think he was... <clears throat> Epstein, as the term inevitably has already become synonymous with killed by the elites in plain sight but passed off as suicide and accepted because we're all too scared to just eat the rich. Reich's legacy is one that's still being really understood today. Modern scientists even now are only beginning and on the fringes of science to reapproach many aspects of his discoveries. All of which were not only suppressed, but completely censored by the U.S. court system at the behest of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, who themselves claimed that Reich's work with cancer patients was quackery and his writings must be destroyed and not allowed to be distributed in the United States. Many years of his work, both published and unpublished, was seized and destroyed as part of the judgment against him. Along with working with patients in areas of psychiatry and his orgone research into cancer prevention, not curing, but prevention, Reich used the same principles of orgone energy to demonstrate an apparently functional application for weather modification known as his cloudbuster machine. He demonstrated it inducing rain for farmers on more than one occasion. As pertains to Wilhelm Reich, that is not even the half of it. So, come back for that episode very soon. I hope to feature some perspective, either in written form or maybe even if we're lucky, an audio clip from my friends from the Bones and Tubs podcast who did a very excellent episode on Reich last year. I'll include a link to that episode of their podcast in the show notes for you as part of your homework if you're interested in getting up on Reich and his work before we talk about it here on the show. I've been in contact with Bones and Tubs uh, about this and we're just chatting about possibly getting a little bit of like follow-up perspective from them here a few months down the line after having covered it and maybe looking back at the material they went over in their show. Look forward to that. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear Wilhelm Reich in his own voice reflecting on what had befallen him towards the end of his career. Uh, let's puff. Let's be grateful for the marijuana plant and living in a legal region of the United States here. 
um, enjoying some of this season's, I think this is Tangy Kush that I'm smoking right now um, from my neighbor down the block. And uh, been really loving and enjoying that this harvest season. Let's take a puff and then we're going to jump into a chat about the other side of the podcast, which is the YouTube channel and a, and a brouhaha that's going on on YouTube as we speak. It's another meltdown on YouTube, everybody. YouTube's going to be destroyed once again, everybody, which probably isn't the case at all, but we're going to try to understand it a little bit better. But I got to get some of that green in my lungs. smoking a bowl. I, I can't even be bothered rolling a joint right now. So what you may be hearing in the background squeaking away is a robo voice reading the YouTube terms of service in full. And this uh, situation going on on YouTube right now, I was going to give you guys a big long scripted like considered analysis of what's going on. I, I'm going to I'm going to bag that and we're going to give you a hot take on it based on the fact that a the the concern on YouTube right now is a sort of a come to Jesus moment over a Federal Trade Commission judgment against Google and YouTube that amounted in a 172 million dollar fine that they do have to pay uh, for collecting the data of my kids and your kids and all sorts of everybody's kids who are under the age of 13 for oh I don't know the last 18 years knowingly out of compliance with an FTC law called COPA, the Child Online Privacy and Protection Act. So uh, this law has been in effect since the year 2000. They penned it in 1998, you guys. Even in the early days of the internet, parents and activist groups understood that there was a real danger of people's personal data being sort of leveraged in inappropriate ways ostensibly to help them okay we're in 2019 now right we all live with personalized ads that seem psychic we all have had that moment of i never told anybody about that why am i seeing new electric can opener ads just because i had trouble with my tuna can at lunch today kind of moments okay even back in 1998 parents and savvy uh, groups who maybe you folks working on the inside of the industry at the time who did have their own families who were like hmm we're building some really powerful and strange tools here uh you know got the word out that hey we shouldn't be tracking data for those under a certain age the age was set at 13 years old in the COPPA law and anyone who's using youtube is not supposed to be under age 13. that's what youtube has youtube kids for but i'm here to tell you that i live with a seven-year-old who asks siri all the time to search gameplay through videos and videos on DIY projects that he's trying to sell to me to get me to do for him. Uh, and he's getting on regular YouTube left, right, and center on our phones. And yeah, we let him have access to the internet still and let him have access to whatever results come up because we don't play that game here of trying to censor everything from our kids. We naturally try to help shield them from harmful and scary content and traumatizing content that they might stumble across. And that's a everyday battle around here. But this is what I'm saying. Whether your kid has a YouTube account or not, or whether your kid has lied about their age to get on YouTube or not, kids are all over YouTube. YouTube has known this from day one. And the judgment that came down against them made very... They, they had a slam dunk case against YouTube because YouTube really was packaging up and selling this as a, a boon and as a specific uh, talking point to all their advertising partners. YouTube is the number one destination on the internet for kids between ages of 2 and 12. YouTube is the best place for kids to find content like this. You know, this many households that are on YouTube um, are known to have kids. By the way, in 2018, YouTube had over 23 million channels already. Um, at least 11 million of them had 1,000 subscribers or more. So YouTube is gigantic and definitely still represents the biggest uh, internet archive of indiv individually independently produced content probably of anywhere on the internet. 
Okay. So again, keeping it keeping it short, keeping it sweet, keeping it in more of the hot take realm. This channel isn't really in danger, probably. I don't do that much visual content on my YouTube channel anyway. The videos that I do produce and publish, so far anyway, have been mostly walkabouts of my local area here in the um, framework of looking for so-called mud flood and Tartarian type architecture and sites and locations. So the COPPA law, which is designed to protect kids, is not looking at channels like Baked and Awake first and foremost to find out whether we're being compliant or not. And then based on everything that I've been able to watch, read, and interpret so far, even should they turn their eye on my channel, for example, with, you know, 150-something videos already on it, most of which are just thumbnail art that go with a podcast episode, but some of which are that uh, real video content that I just mentioned, they're not going to see many of the things that they call out, the FTC calls out, and I won't call them buzzwords, these are specific types of content that uh, they're going to use to look deeper into a channel to see if the channel itself is really targeting kids or not. This comes down to, again, if you're a bigger channel and you're misrepresenting your content as not being for kids, but in fact, it's actually really juicy and really, you know, kid appealing, uh, then you could find yourself out of compliance with COPPA. Okay. Um, using the FTC's own words here, the under COPPA, there's no one size fits all answer about what makes a site directed to children, but we can offer some guidance to be clear. Your content isn't considered quote directed to children just because some children may see it. However, if your audience is kids under 13, you're covered by COPPA and have to honor the rules requirements. So the, the quick list of terms here is the rules set out additional factors the FTC will consider in determining whether your content is child-directed. Now, let's remember here, um, YouTube is absolutely full of um, independent creators who are doing comedy, who are doing short skits, who are doing game playthroughs, who are doing toy unboxings, who are doing Lego builds, who are doing, um, you know, uh, pro like little DIY uh, learning projects and things like that. Um, and again, we're talking about there's 23 million channels on YouTube. So even if there's just a few hundred thousand of what I just mentioned, which I think there's actually millions, you could see all the wholesome content that your kid may be, you know, knowingly consuming that you're sometimes consuming with them who hasn't watched a gameplay through of a level of a tough video game in the last few years to get through it. I don't know how many times I had to go to YouTube to get through a portal level back in the day when I was playing Portal and Portal 2, right? Uh, I mean, it's not even funny. So there's there's a lot of this type of content that I would call general audience, but which you'll see from this list here could really lump a lot of channels in with being directed to children. Okay, so... Uh, in determining whether your content is child-directed, the FTC will be looking at the subject matter, the visual content, the use of animated characters or child-oriented activities, and incentives. Ask your parents to order my merch today. The kind of music or other audio content, so using music in your videos can be kid-appealing, special effects, sound effects, the age of the models, the presence of child celebrities or celebrities who appeal to children, language or other characteristics of the site, whether advertising that promotes or appears on the site is directed to children, and competent and reliable empirical evidence about the age of the audience, which, by the way, YouTube has in spades. Okay, so whether they sell your data or not, they still track that data. The cookies are still there. So that data is getting tracked one way or another. What they're not supposed to do is grab that data, package it up as a subset of data that says, oh, here's our, you know, kids age 2 to 12.5 on YouTube, and here's all their search histories, and here's what they've been watching, and here's how long they've been watching each of these videos, and here's who they're subbed to, and here's who they're actually commenting and engaging with. This is the level of visibility they have into all this, by the way, that exists on everything, and they're not supposed to take that and turn around and package it up and sell it to Hasbro or... Um, 
you know, uh, Blizzard Games or whoever it might be. They, of course, were doing that for the last 15-plus years and got busted for it massively. So the FTC has a lot of information out there for content creators, and if you're listening to me and you happen to have a YouTube channel, I urge you strongly to look into your own videos that have already been published and be aware of any content of your own that could potentially be construed as child-directed. Why does that matter? Here's why. If you don't identify on a video-by-video basis or at the channel level as a creator, a YouTube channel uh, owner, that your content is, uh, if you don't identify correctly that it's directed at kids or potentially directed at kids, and the FTC is looking at your channel, and they do see that they want to come down with a sort of determination that it is oriented towards kids, a whole bunch of features for your channel could potentially be disabled. And that's, this is what YouTube can do. The FTC, so excuse me, the FTC will simply decide if they have a good enough case against you. And if they do, they may elect to sue you. All right. And while it doesn't have to be this much money, they let us know here on the FTC statement about this, that the rule the COPPA rule does allow for civil penalty penalties of up to $42,530 per violation. They go on to say that they consider a number of factors in determining the appropriate amount, including a company's financial condition and the impact a penalty could have on its ability to stay in business. While Google and YouTube paid $170 million in another COPPA case settled this year, so this is a case that already happened, the operator paid a total civil penalty of $35,000. Well, I don't know about you, but if I got just one instance of a lawsuit that resulted in anything close to a $35,000 fine, probably the computer I'm sitting, the outdated computer I'm sitting here talking to you and recording into today, along with every other material possession of mine, en masse would be seized and sold at auction to settle that $35,000 judgment because I don't have it. That would bankrupt your boy Steve right out of the gate. Um, and I'm here to tell you that if the FTC does bother to take you to court, they're going to make darn sure that whatever the fine or fee is, is the absolute maximum they can leverage against you without, I don't know, I don't even know if they'll stop short of putting you out on the street. They just might. So, this is something that I'm not horribly worried about. As I said, my channel's pretty adult-oriented. My friend Andreas, who did the uh, intro for us at the beginning of this show, runs a, a Tartarian, alt-history kind of channel of his own. He has much more extensive use of, like, electronic music and, and graphics visuals in his content. Even he's probably fine. Some of his content is so diverse that it even does include um, animated characters and recognizable characters that would definitely be, uh, in many cases, at least at one point in time, generationally speaking here, uh, kid-oriented content. I really don't even think he's in trouble because the when the FTC performs the sweep of YouTube, which has been stated will occur, by the way. So there's a lot more to this than I'm going to bother to go into today. People have done videos that are over an hour long, hundreds of them all over YouTube going into this in detail, but they are coming. But when the FTC does come and look, they'll see that channels like ours are much more adult in theme and uh, full fullness of content. Uh, so, therefore, their case wouldn't be as strong for most. I'm talking about the gameplay through creators here. I'm talking about the pop culture movie and game reviewers here, etc., um, who really all have to, you know, many of whom have been trying to make a little bit of a YouTube living now for years. A lot of these folks have to look really seriously at what they need to do because the FTC can fine you for up to $42,530. Ouch. They're being nice. It's $35,000. All right, that'll destroy you. 
But the FTC also told YouTube and Google they need to do this and that and this and that to make sure that their creators aren't doing this on their platform. How's YouTube going to do that? They're going to apply their own YouTube AI to it, which we've seen in the past has resulted in multiple copyright strikes against my own uh, audio going up onto YouTube from the podcast. In every case, I've had permissions and licenses for the music that I've used in the show. Um, many other creators have complained extensively and done videos on that. Uh, but YouTube is going to be applying both manual and automated tools to reviewing users' content. Some content may automatically get flagged as for kids. In the case that it does, any video that gets flagged in that way by YouTube, while it's supposedly appealable, again, we've seen they don't, and they have a long history of not doing very good at replying to appeals for anything on copyright strikes, etc. Even suspensions and terminations of accounts don't guarantee that you'll actually get anybody to speak to you if your account does get canceled and this can result in your entire Google account getting suspended or like shut down your Gmail yeah that Gmail you've had for 10 years could get shut down taken away from you uh, by YouTube by Google okay let's not forget Google owns YouTube they have for years YouTube is operated at kind of a loss for a lot of their career I think they've been proper profitable the last few years but again this is all on ad revenue they the videos that get marked as for children whether you do it manually yourself voluntarily or, or they do it through an automated process they become delisted in search results they can no longer be saved to playlists by parents for their kids of like these are okay videos to watch comments are turned off on those videos personalized ads are no longer served on those videos um, if a YouTube channel is big enough to be monetized by YouTube with AdSense um, most creators make like 85% or so of their revenue from the AdSense not from their super chats which are also turned off on a child oriented uh, video as well you lose the premiere function you lose the um, live streaming chat that goes along with the premiere in a lot of cases uh, so you know your, your 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 entire channel is hamstrung your revenue stream if you have one is going to be pretty much evaporated um, all you'll have left is your patreon supporters and people who are like directly listening to your appeals your crying sobbing appeals for money <laughs> in the midst of your videos and, and audio content and directly supporting you in some way because all the passive income that you used to get from adsense is absolutely gone and of course as i said youtube could go even further and just go ahead and suspend your uh, they could take the video down they can suspend your account or they can at their sole discretion simply tell Google that your entire account should be canned it's that serious so I've already talked about this for longer than I planned to and I'm gonna wrap up by saying again I'm not worried about this like in terms of can I still be on YouTube for now and still talk yeah probably there's a whole separate debacle about their new terms of service, which is rolling out December 10th, which goes into effect on January 1st, which is tied to this COPPA ruling. The new terms of service for YouTube, which, again, you've been hearing squawking along very low in the background behind me up until a moment or two ago, is uh, easier to read than ever, but explains more clearly than ever that you're there at YouTube's suffrage. They have no responsibility to host your content. Uh, they have sole discretion to take down individual videos or your entire channel. They always have. They're a private entity. Things like them deciding that anything that you're doing is harming someone else or could potentially harm the platform. Okay, read, cost them money or prevent them from making money. Can be grounds for suspension or or cancellation of your account terms like if they decide your channel is not commercially viable are tossed around in the new terms of service so 
uh, my not-so-hot take, my warm take on this that I've spent almost a half an hour on is read the terms of service. They're not that long. They, they, I mean, they take 15 minutes for a robo-reader to read at double speed, so I think it was like 23 minutes of that originally, and it'll take you that long or longer to read it and understand it. Yeah, it sucks, okay? Roll a joint. <laughs> but read it. Be aware of it. If you're a creator already, look at the content that you have up there. Consider marking some videos private if you need to. Consider removing some videos if you need to. Consider changing titles. Uh, consider marking them as uh, possibly directed at children and just taking the hit on those videos so that you can keep doing what you're doing on the platform. The conspiracy theorist in me tells me this is something that YouTube knew about when they started breaking the rule that YouTube and Google knew about when YouTube was acquired by Google a few years ago, that their big room full of very fancy lawyers said, don't worry, just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to get hit eventually, and we'll make a change then. They got hit eventually, and they're making a change now that they've anticipated for years already. The conspiracy theorist in me says YouTube wants to be another Disney Plus. They want to be another Hulu. They want to be another Prime Video. They want to be another Netflix. Cord cutters are getting, you know, these days we're on our way to just as big of a bill in streaming services a la carte than we ever paid for a regular cable bill back in the day. If you want everything that everybody else is watching, you're going to be close to cable bill numbers these days and the way things are going a few years from now you'll be paying for the privilege of youtube premium and still getting ads over that content as well uh, i i don't see any escape and in between now and then the diversity of content and the independence of content and the first amendment realm of like free expression that you thought was happening on YouTube uh, it already hasn't been it already hasn't been you know unimpacted uh, the thought police are already here you guys social credit is real this YouTube debacle about COPPA the new terms of service these things are things that will follow you off of YouTube. If they take away your Gmail account, how many years worth of archived emails and photos and files and things, your Google Drive, what my Google Drive, oh my God, I've got gigs of stuff up in my Google Drive. Photos I've synced from my phone, books, whole books, every show note that I've ever written for this show is up on Google Drive. So it is important for me to remain compliant with COPPA and conduct myself lawfully and appropriately anywhere in the Google ecosystem, but certainly on YouTube where, I'm, where I have a public persona, so to speak. And we would all do well to remember this and be aware of it and act accordingly as well because we've already agreed to the terms of service. You as a viewer have agreed to those same terms of service that I as a creator have and are subject to the same rules. Videos that you re-upload and share on your own channel, even if you don't create content yourself. Same deal. So, it's a mess. Uh, there's millions of videos on the internet about it, uh, on YouTube about it already. I'm going to include a few for you in the show notes that can help you get the same level of awareness that I've got. Hopefully, I've given you the highlights of this at this point, and everybody is so bored with it by now that we need to move on to the next topic, right? Right. Well, guess what? That's kind of related anyway. <laughs> so let's smoke a little bit more. Um, but yeah, guys, watch your channels. Watch your P's and Q's. Because YouTube's going to be watching them for you, and they're not going to, they're going to take a dim view on anything that they have to think too hard about. They don't care about us. They're going to let these users, you know, explode, self-immolate, uh, leave the service on their own, uh, get sued out of existence by the FTC, or just algorithmically get canceled by their own YouTube AI 
which has got to be a Google-powered AI these days, which has got to be one of the, you know, biggest and most nefarious uh, types of, you know, they're going to have the biggest Hulkinist, baddest-ass AIs going somewhere in the back end, right? Um, we're not even talking about Google's new medical database-powered AI that I've been seeing stories popping up about in recent days. Um, but yeah, in my mind, largely, social media is broken. And I don't know if it'll be fixed or not. I don't know if it'll destroy us all in this, you know, China-esque, as I keep saying it, social credit system death spiral. YouTube right now is rolling out a new unkillable full screen uh, ad server on smart TVs. So if you have a YouTube app on your smart TV, you might already be seeing these ads show up when you go to the YouTube tile. It's called Masthead. And it starts playing ads that you can't really skip. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be living in a world pretty soon where just like Black Mirror, you know, you're going to have to pay to cancel ads. We already are paying to cancel ads, right? I, I pay for YouTube premium because I'm on YouTube too much. I don't see most of the ads that you guys see in your video feed normally. But my poor wife, whenever I watch a video on YouTube with her, I got I to gotta sit through the ads on her phone. Uh, it's gnarly. So, uh, masthead, look out for that on your, on your home screen of your, of your own TV, on your 60-incher in your living room. Uh, but what I did find that I did want to take two minutes to talk about was a uh, TechCrunch story. Uh, seems to be one of the best sources I've found on this. It just came out on the 12th of November, but um, you may have seen this in your feed somewhere, probably just as a tiny blip that was quickly ignored. Facebook says a bug caused its iPhone app to inadvertently turn on camera access. Yeah, not just microphone, but camera so again, this is TechCrunch. We got Zach Whitaker writing on the 12th of November, and I won't read the whole article, but I'll give you the, the highlights here. Facebook's faced a barrage of concern over an apparent bug that resulted in social media giant's iPhone app exposing the camera as users scroll through their feed. Side note, I've noticed this for years already. I believe the same bug exists in Instagram. Whether we'll find out about it or not remains to be seen, but when I connect my phone via Bluetooth uh, to one of my playback speakers, I can hear the microphone sort of click on and off like a static background click with every scroll of my finger. You turn the volume up enough, you may be able to notice a similar kind of behavior in Instagram on your own phones. It might even be detectable through your earbuds. You know, I'm saying the Bluetooth uh, makes that possible right now. And that's whether sound is turned on or not on the Instagram inline videos or ads, whether uh, sound is turned up or not on my phone, uh, like silent mode or not, uh, you hear this click. That definitely reminds me very much of the way Bluetooth behaves when I'm on conference calls. So, a tweet over the weekend blew up. Back to the story, after Joshua Maddox tweeted a screen recording of the Facebook app on his iPhone, he noticed that the camera would appear behind the Facebook app as he scrolled through his social media feed. Several users had already spotted the bug earlier in the month. One person called it, quote, a little worrying. Uh, so, yeah, let's see what... Uh, Guardian Firewall Will Strafak, chief executive at Guardian Firewall, said it looked like a harmless but creepy-looking bug. Well, Will... Harmless, eh? Uh, the bug appears to only affect iPhone users who are running the latest iOS 13 and those who have already granted the app access to the camera and microphone. It's believed the bug relates to the story view in the app, which opens the camera for users to take photos. So, yeah, one workaround. Simply revoke camera and microphone access to the Facebook app in their iOS settings. How many people do you think are doing that? I'm here to tell you, I, yeah. I don't think this is that much of a harmless bug and I also would absolutely just speculate on my own part um, from my small amount of experience in software development this was probably a bug they knew about they were aware of 
they thought was a low occurrence. Okay, let's put the best face on it. They, this is iOS 13 that broke it, right? So maybe they had it sort of fixed in iOS 12. Okay. Um, iOS 13 comes out, somehow breaks it. It's probably been breaking all along, quote unquote. But this would have been classified as a P2 or P3 priority two priority three bug by them if they could if their development team could establish that the occurrence level was pretty low and that it only occurred on like one ios or one operating system out of many or one version of the operating system out of many that not that many users would supposedly have um maybe they further you know would come out and say oh well we've we don't do anything with that recording anyway we don't do anything with that data it's all data everything's data your data i'm data and every interaction we have with our phones is data right to them they they track how fast you scroll when you scroll backwards back up and hover over something and whether you click through or not how long do you stay on that next destination that's what those cookies are for so i mean they're tracking your eye movement on the screen you've got sophisticated cameras looking right back at you you've got biometrics on your phone So there's more to the story um, in terms of, you know, Facebook's prevarication on this and, and you know, trying to mitigate it. Uh, I think they say they fixed it. Uh, we discovered that version 244 of the Facebook iOS app would incorrectly launch in landscape mode in fixing that issue. We inadvertently introduced a bug that caused the app to partially navigate to the camera screen adjacent to the news feed when users tapped on photos. So... Again, like they said here, they were fixing another bug and they broke this. Um, I would posit that this is a continuous issue with all social media uh, applications and platforms. And obviously, in particular, because almost every device you interact with those platforms on will be camera enabled and GPS enabled. You have like massive exposure to general creepiness of like every sort so good times as always uh i deleted the facebook app a few months ago from my phone and haven't been on facebook proper in that same amount of time and that's going amazing um i haven't died yet i don't know what anybody did last weekend or you know which one of my uh relatives or old high school buddies is actually a racist uh, <laughs> you know, as much as I might have uh, six months ago or a year ago by their stupid ass posts on Facebook. But I still got Instagram on the phone. Still got Twitter on the phone. Still got way too many things tracking me all over the internet. I don't know what to do about it because I'm still not willing to like sit here on some kludgy, miserable Linux operating system side boot box and uh you know tor browser my way onto the internet all of which would just flag me as a different kind of creepy internet bad actor to the feds anyway uh you know vpns have been shown to be in many cases nowhere near as effective as they claim to be and some of them are even malwarey in in different ways of their own stories for a different day don't trust your shit, you guys. Don't trust that sacred glowing rectangle in your pocket. Don't trust your Wi-Fi security cameras around your house. Some of the vulnerabilities to those include, like, a hacker's ability to, like, get access to every device in your house just coming in through the weak password on your security camera that you're using to watch your driveway in front of your house or on your baby monitor that's pointed at your kid asleep in their crib. I'm not making any of that up either. That's all. Those are real stories and they're happening over and over again. None of it's going away, you guys. We got the internet of things coming hard and fast. You're going to have you know, smart scales radioing fitness data back to your Apple Health app or whatever it's called. And where's that data going? Oh, right, to Google, who's building an AI database using the medical history records of, like, everybody in North America as we speak. Yeah, so. Most depressing, I know, 
Let's smoke more weed, and then we'll talk about something a little bit more fun. So, a couple weeks back, I talked about, you know, emergency preparedness, family preparedness, in light of that uh, false flag attack that was, you know, sort of predicted for uh, earlier in November. And uh, I had used it as an opportunity, excuse me, I'm, I'm still exhaling. And really, if I'm being perfectly honest, fighting a, a big old head and chest cold, probably don't need to be smoking uh, too much right now. Uh, and it's exacerbating my uh, lung irritation a little bit. But, uh, you know, talked a little bit about my emergency preparedness recently, and I want to return to that uh, briefly today with a thing that occurred to me over the past few days um, that's like really not the sexy preparedness topic and the sexy survival tool like we're not going to talk tactical knives or flashlights or emergency shovels or uh, you know ultralight shelters or you know solar panel systems or any of that neato stuff we're going to talk about one of the most underrated survival tools that I think is nevertheless just as essential as anything I just mentioned maybe more so, and could honestly save your life instantly. Um, and that is headphone users beware the following. An emergency whistle. I think a whistle could save your life faster than any fire sticks or portable stoves or hand warmer packs or even water filters. Because the minute you figure out that you're lost, the sun just went down, your mountain bike ride took a wrong turn an hour ago, and you don't know if you're facing east, south, or to the North Pole. We've all been out there in the woods and seen and heard how little we can hear our own friend who we left behind a little ways on the trail. You know, who just fell a little bit behind because of varying fitness levels or they had a flat. They had to tie their shoe if you're hikers, you know. Somebody needed to stop to you know, take a whiz. Our voices don't carry out there in the hills. You've got wind, you've got weather, you've got terrain all working against you. Sometimes our phones have no signal, so you're unable to call each other effectively. You might be right near each other, still can't get a call or a text to one another. You got any service? No, no. Do you? Nope. Ain't got any. Maybe you're injured. You know where I'm going with this. It's, it's an incredibly versatile, useful tool. Whistles can be found today on your ski and snowboard jackets in a lot of cases. That's an awesome uh, thing that that industry recognized years ago and began to include on their equipment. I've got a Dekine bag with a chest strap that has a whistle integrated into it. And my wife, the high school teacher, tells me that most of the kids' backpacks these, do, these days uh, also have whistles incorporated into them so i guess i'm saying you might already own one or two the one i was just uh bleeding on was a little uh 550 cord survival bracelet you know that also has a compass on it and also has a little fire stick on it you know you, you've seen these edc you know tactical bracelets on on instagram probably in your feeds as well if you're anything like me and you know i've ever clicked like on a picture of somebody's pocket knife you start seeing these uh ads pretty quickly and uh this one came with like a tactical bag that uh, my wife got for me a few months back, I think for my birthday, and you know, pretty cool. Uh, I think the coolest thing on the entire bracelet is the whistle, and I believe the whistle will be the first thing I reach for to use to try to get some help, to get somebody heading my direction, to get somebody aware that I'm in trouble when I really find myself in a survival situation. You know, and let's face it, most of our survival situations that we're going to end up in aren't going to be SHTF, post-apocalyptic, zombie battling, 
uh, you know, epic tales, it's going to be that regular everyday mountain bike ride that went weird. It's going to be that hike that just lasted too long and the fucking sun went down on you and now you you could be less than a mile from your car and have no fucking clue how to get to it. Sometimes you can raise the alarm and effect rescue for yourself hours or days before anybody would ever find your starving ass <laughs> uh, out in the hills. Uh, so that's my spiel about emergency whistles. Get several in your repertoire. One should be on your keychain that leaves the house with you every day. That's your urban assault whistle. Somebody's, you know, I'm cornered in an alley and people are being aggro with me out of nowhere. You don't need to pull a gun on them. You don't need to pull out your stupid, you know, uh, Spyderco knife out of your pocket. Because that's not going to do anything, but escalate matters, probably get you injured or killed. Blow on the whistle. Send them running. Bring other people to your side. Put them in your bug out bag. Put them in your get home bag. Put them in your kids' backpacks or on a lanyard around their neck. Hopefully you already do. Whistles, baby. That's what's up. That's Steve's underrated survival tool of the week. Uh, I got a link to an article where you can read all about cool uses for your whistles, and they have a bunch of them rated there. Um, and I'm literally just saying, get any one. Get several of them. Go on Amazon and buy a four-pack from some. You know you can fucking buy some for 10 bucks and get a, and a, get a fistful of them and put them in every place I just mentioned. Um, and have that mentality of using that first. Is it is it dignified? Not really. Is it something to be, you know, super proud of? Well, if it saves your life, you, you bet it is. So, whistles. <laughs> uh, all right. And that's... I've had my fun. I'm going to leave you guys with this haunting recording from Wilhelm Reich. I am going to be doing a lot of homework on him, as I have been for days already, uh, in preparation for the next episode, and uh, I look forward to coming back and bringing you the rest of that very soon. I hope a few of you will do that homework ahead of time and look into them yourselves, and uh, in you know, sort of engage me on Instagram in the meantime, because we're not off that social media yet, even though we don't trust it as far as we can throw it. Um, but yeah let me know what you think about the topic let me know what you want to know about the topic whether it's the cloud busting side or the orgone energy side uh, we're going to be talking about both because I think they're both super important and interesting have a wonderful holiday weekend with your families With you know if you're North American I think free of too much guilt we have to figure our way forward in this world Reckon with the karma that came to us that we've been enjoying our, our whole lives. But yeah, not like torture ourselves over it too much either. Yeah. All right. We got a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipe for you, including a uh, very special conversation with a big, big name in the Tartarian and Mud Flood research community. And I'm not going to spoil that by telling you who that is, but it's super cool. And uh, that'll be really soon as well. Probably the, the episode after the Reich episode uh, will be that conversation. And hopefully it'll be the first of many to come for 2020 here on the show. And we've got some more content before the end of the year. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not taking December off or anything. Uh, love you guys all. Appreciate you all. And... Uh, you know what I need you to do? Take care of each other. Smoke some indica. And do shit anyway.
April 3rd, 1952, at Orgonon, Rangeley, Maine. I, Wilhelm Reich, am sitting alone in the large room in the lower house. All people are gone. In the morning and the whole day yesterday, a meeting took place of the members of the board of, the board of trustees of the foundation which carries my name. <clears throat> Everybody's gone now, and I would like to add a few words to the recording we made yesterday and today of the disaster which struck Orbanon. <clears throat> There's nobody here to listen to what I'm saying. The recording apparatus is the only witness. I hope that someone will at some time in the future listen to this recording with great respect. Respect for the courage that was necessary to sustain the research work in organ energy and life energy all through these years. I shall not go into the great strain, into the details, into the worries, the sleepless nights, the tears, the expenditures and money and effort, the patience which I had to have with all my workers and with all my students. <clears throat> I would like only to mention the fact that there's nobody around, there's not a single soul either here at Oregonan or down in New York who would fully and really from the bottom of his existence understand what I'm doing and be with me in what I'm doing. They are all very good people. They are decent, honest, hardworking. I trust them. We are very good friends, all of them, or most of them. But this does not alter the fact that they all, without any exception, are against, I say, are against what I am doing. Every single one of them spites me, interferes with my effort, crosses it out, blots out, flattens out, does one thing or another thing, whatever it may be, to diminish <coughs> my effort, no, to diminish the effects of my effort, to blot out the sharpness and acuity of my thoughts, to reduce to rubble and nothing, or nothingness, what I have elaborated in about now 30, uh, four, uh, 33 or 34 years of systematic thinking, and in about 40, 40 years of human suffering since about 1912, or rather 1910 when my mother died. There is not a single soul around who would fully understand or would not say no to it all. This no is identical with I don't want it. I don't like it. I loathe it. Why is it here? Why does he have to exist? Why does he, why does not, doesn't he sit down and take it easy? 
Why did he have to uh, start this Oranur experiment, which gives us so much trouble? They see only the trouble. They don't see or they don't want to realize what it means for medicine, biology, and science in general, as well as philosophy, to have this Oranur going. To them, it is mostly a bother, an inducer of sickness, suffering, and at times I have the distinct feeling that they believe or they do not dare quite to admit their own thoughts that I may have gone haywire. This reaction of my closest friends and co-workers to the situation here is exactly the same that has harassed the human race for as much as we can say 8,000 or 10,000 years since patriarchy has ruled its destinies and since the natural love was extinguished in the newborn infants. I shall not go into that. It's all written up in my publications. Whoever knows these publications also knows what that means. The discovery of the life energy would have been accomplished long ago had this I don't want it, I fear it, I loathe it, I'll kill it, I'll flatten it out, I won't let it uh, live or exist. If that had not been in their structures, not in their desires, not in their positive conscious wishes, they're all decent and, and, and good people. No, it is in the structure. It is somehow in their tissues, in their blood. They cannot tolerate anything that has to do with orthodox energy or life energy or what they call God or what is their deepest longing for love for fulfillment. They cannot tolerate it and they fear it. They fear it by way of structure, their tissues, their blood cannot stretch out, cannot take it, evades it, avoids it, and lotus it. I do not say all this to uh, depreciate their efforts, their honor, their loves, their lives. <clears throat> I say it because it is true, because it turns up in every single move, in every single word, in every single opinion, in every single paper, in every single thing they did to, to whatever ever had to do with discovery, with the discovery of genitality, life, love, uh, such people as Lawrence, or such philosophies as Giordano Brunus, or such great lives as Jesus Christ, and so forth, and so forth. It is a sad, lonely chapter of the human race. I don't feel that I am ob obligated to solve this riddle or to do anything about it. I happen to discover the life energy. I happen to induce the Oranur experiment. I know what it means for the future development of medicine and biology philosophy in natural science. I'm fully aware of it. And in, these, in this awareness, I am completely alone. There's no soul anywhere far and wide to talk to, to give, uh, to give one's, one's feelings, to let one's feelings go freely, to speak like as friends speak to each other. This is all.